just to bring us back to what we're kind of getting into tonight. We began two weeks ago, it was our third year anniversary, and we kind of put this out there, that we have some important values here at the harbor, and those are loving God. Actually, why don't you tell me, our first value is? Loving God. God. Another one we do is we? We're sharing life, and lastly, we are? Proclaiming Jesus. These are three values that we talk about here at the harbor. Sorry to surprise you, but we actually took them from the Bible. I hope that's okay. We, we like these values. And we decided that, hey, if we're going to live these values out, then we need a little more depth to who we are, right? In order for us to be living these values day to day, it's going to take some depth. But left to our own devices, we're just kind of shallow people. And so we said, hey, we, we want to go deep. It's just going to take a little discipline. We decided we want to go deep. It's just going to take a little discipline. And so we looked at Psalm 1, and we had this awesome picture of what it looks like to go deep, right? A tree planted by streams of living water, bearing its fruit in season. Its leaves don't wither, and everything it does prospers. That's God's plan for you as you go deep. That's His plan as you come out of the shallowness of our own lives and into depth by adding some discipline. And then last week we decided, hey, prayer... It's the meeting we don't want to miss, right? And I'm not talking about our corporate prayer meeting, although it's a great meeting and things happen there. But prayer, your daily connection with God, it is the meeting you don't want to miss. And so we looked at Matthew 6 and said, all right, Jesus, what do you have to say about prayer? And he told us about the character of God, how God sees you and he wants to reward you. He sees and he rewards. That's the kind of God he is. And so coming to this daily prayer meeting that we have with him is a good time. And actually on that, I got wonderful feedback from several of you about what it was like to follow Jesus' model of praying. And I'd like Dela Storzbach to come up and tell us a little bit about what it was like. She added a little discipline to her life. She's, also, she's already very disciplined. But she had a little discipline, prayed according to Matthew 6, and Dela, what happened? Okay. Well, I was thankful for the reminder last week, um, especially of the first two steps that Neil shared, um, connect with God and dream for others. Um, And I found that when I structured my prayer time like that this week, um, connecting with God, I just was really refreshed in God's presence first. Dreaming uh, Dreaming for others made things a lot more interesting just in my prayer this week. Um... And just getting my eyes off of myself and dreaming for others. And then um, I found from that place that it was much easier to expect God to move in my own life, um, to release my problems and my cares and um, anything going on in my life to him, to resolve, to follow him better, and to surrender um, the day, the week, whatever was going on. So um, I just encourage you to connect with God first and foremost in the morning, if that's the only step then that's the best one, I think, is what I learned this week. So, yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Taylor. <clears throat> and so we come to today. And what I want to talk about is us unleashing our hunger for God. We want to unleash, unleash our hunger for God. <clears throat> now, when we talk about hunger for God, though, we need to first talk about our relationship with food. Because especially in North America, we've got a special kind of interesting relationship with food. And so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about what is your favorite meal. You know, whether it's an at-home meal or whether it's at a restaurant. Maybe you can think you get a certain thing every time like I do. Every time I go to North, 
North Beverly roast beef, I get the chicken kebab salad. It's big, I love it, and honestly, the pita bread there is amazing. There's nothing that matches it. I don't know where these guys are from, Greece, somewhere, but they make this pita bread that is just, I mean, it's melting your mouth good. What about you? Where do you like to eat? What's your favorite meal? Let's just start thinking about that, okay? Kelsey and I, one of our favorite places to go is Cheesecake Factory. And thanks to you, because there's people out there who keep giving us Cheesecake Factory gift certificates. Thank you so much. But have you ever stepped back? You know, you go to the North Shore Mall. Have you ever looked at the architecture of Cheesecake Factory or P.F. Chang's? I mean, there are statues outside of P.F. Chang's. You come into the Cheesecake Factory, and there are columns on the walls. Talk about temples for food. It's just incredible. We in North America have erected these temples to food that are incredible. Have you gone up and down Route 1 lately? Have you seen the cactus there at that steakhouse? I don't know what the electric bill is for lighting that thing, but it's huge. This is North America and food. And we think it's normal to have this kind of relationship with food, and it's crazy. So my question for us today is, hey, is your hunger for God... What is your hunger for God in relationship to your appetite for food? What is your hunger for God? Is your hunger for God on the same par with your incredible appetite for having to have, as Josh Booth said, the the cinnamon twist, the nacho cheese, and all that? All good stuff. And let me make a side note here before we go on. Hey, all all of the beautiful flavors, you know, I know Jeremy mentioned kiwi, All of the wonderful flavors of the earth are extravagance on God's part. So the issue is not that food's bad. That's not what we're saying here. But I am saying, like I'm actually so funny, Michelle Brooks, that you put that sign in there. I don't know if you noticed that little quick sign at Burger King. Kelsey and I live right near Burger King in Beverly. And when that sign went up, I'm going to tell you what that sign says. When that sign came up, it was about late spring or early summer. Outside of Burger King, they put a sign that said, Now available for breakfast. The Whopper. Did you see it flash up there? And I'm just thinking, are you kidding? Who in the world is getting a Whopper for breakfast? But again, something is just not normal here in America with food. We've lost it. Hey, the good news is, for you and for me is, God has a discipline for us. If you and I are looking to unleash our hunger for God, if we are wanting more of God, If we're like me, if you're feeling a little bit low about your desire for God versus your desire just for an awesome, I don't know, souffle, haven't had one of those in a while, there's good news, and God's given us this discipline of fasting, okay, of fasting. So turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're going to check out Matthew 6 and Jesus' instruction on fasting. Jesus both exhibited this discipline, he practiced it. And he also taught on it. We're going to go right to the teaching. I don't know why they call it fast. This is my pastor, Jeff Bianchi, from CFCF. He always says, I don't know why they call it fast, because when I'm fasting, I always move pretty slow. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Jesus said, when you fast, do not look somber, As the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious 
to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We need to begin with these very first three words, as we did last week when Jesus said, when you pray. Jesus says, when you fast. And here we need to do a little anthropological homework and say, hey, 21st century America, where Whoppers are okay for breakfast, is a little different than 1st century Palestine, where the discipline or the habit of fasting wasn't a weird, unusual, strange, or uncommon thing. It would be normal for Jesus' audience to be a people who are familiar with fasting. It was required once a year by the Jewish calendar. In fact, we're coming right up to the Day of Atonement, what starts at sundown this Friday, the 17th, Yom Kippur, is the Day of Atonement. And that day was celebrated, mandated by God in Leviticus, that everyone should fast. They should deny themselves 25, 24 hours of fasting. So the Jewish people would have recognized this as a normal discipline. And beyond that, the Pharisees, they were fasting twice a week as a part of their religious duty. And so now we have, although it's foreign to us, what is, what is familiar to us is Cheesecake Factory. What is foreign to us is fasting. But honestly, in first century Palestine, fasting would have been a normal discipline. And Jesus, when he says, when you fast, I think his expectation was, was that among the people of God, it would remain a normal discipline. But now what Jesus goes on to unpack is, what are good reasons for fasting? What are bad reasons for fasting? So look with me first, and we look at the bad reasons for fasting. When you fast, this is verse 16, do not look somber, gloomy, as the hypocrites, right, the pretenders do. For they disfigure their faces. Literally, they let the light, the luster, go away from their faces. Of course, when you're fasting, you're going to be a little bit weak. But it seems like the Pharisees were really exaggerated in their disfigurement of their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, they receive their reward in full. So here we have a bad reason for fasting. Just to impress men. Or just to impress God, even. To just impress men or to just impress God is not a good reason for fasting. And actually, at this moment, is a perfect time for me to insert really a balance of this whole series. And I'm glad. And when we're talking about the discipline of fasting, it's the right time to do it. And that is you need to be settled in your soul about something. And when we were praying before the service, we were praying along this very line, and that is that when we're talking about prayer or fasting or some of the other disciplines that we'll talk about during this series, like solitude or corporate disciplines like celebration and service, and by the way, if you're interested in these, just get Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. We're just going through his things one by one, although not in the same order. But the thing that you need to settle is that you are loved by God. When we're talking about the disciplines, we're not talking about loved by God or not loved by God. Okay? What we are talking about is fruitful or not fruitful. And the best way I can illustrate it 
and it's a way that will become more and more clear to me, is I, with my son, Jaron David, 10 and a half months, almost 11 months, right? He, I love him, and I will always love him. My love for him can't change. He's got my blood. He's our family. I will always love my son. But even this little, almost 11-month-old kid, he's got great potential to be very disappointing to me, and he's got great potential to be very pleasing to me, right? I've been reading Proverbs, and it says, a wise son makes his father glad. So if Jaron David turns out to be really wise, he's going to make my heart glad. And you need to know this about all these disciplines. We don't, I don't fast so I can gain the love of God. I fast because God loves me and I want to bear fruit. I'm secure in the fact that I'm his son and I want to bear fruit. And fasting has something to do with that that we'll get into shortly. Okay? Does everyone catch that? It's subtle, but it's so key. And you need to know where you are just in the personality spectrum. I'm an anxious type A person. So when I get a message on fasting, I think, well, come on. Let's do 40 days. Let me be like Jesus. Come on. And then some of you are on the other end of the spectrum where it's just like, eh, good message. I don't really care. You know, and you guys need to like apply a little bit of this to your lives. You'll be blessed, I promise. Okay, so I just want to make sure we settle that so we understand a bad reason for fasting is to impress God, impress people, earn their favor. It's very clear, Jesus says, it's what God sees you do in secret and he's the one who rewards you in secret. And let me just tack this on with a bad reason. It's not in the scripture here, but our culture is such that um, uh, if you are wrestling with an eating disorder, you need to know what can happen is, and let me me just explain it this way. I went to Baylor University, Waco, Texas, a few years ago. And I just think the pressure on the women of that school was intense, right? They had to look just so good, and they had to be Christian enough where, you know, they could, whatever, they would be Christian enough, but they didn't want to be too radicals, they'd be weird, and they'd have the right friends at the right time. And I just thought, man, the pressure on these women is incredible. And as a result, Baylor has a fairly high incidence of eating disorders among women because there's this incredible pressure. And the thing that I wouldn't want to do in a message on fasting is give some of you who may be struggling with an eating disorder a religious reason to not eat. In other words, fasting is not just your diet plan or your best option for weight loss. It's not. Fasting, as we're talking about as as a spiritual discipline, is about you and your relationship with God. Okay? So a bad reason for fasting would be just, hey, giving yourself a religious excuse to not eat because you're feeling bad about your body. What you need is breakthrough, that God loves you. He loves your body, that you're beautiful to Him. You just need one word from God. You are beautiful. You're not unlovely. And that's the breakthrough you need. So, let's look at the good reasons for fasting. Jesus gets on to those. 17 and 18, let's read them again. But when you fast, expectation, it's a normal part of our lives, put oil on your head and wash your face, right? Just do your normal routine. I know not too many of us put Crisco on our face or whatever, but the point is, Just do your normal routine, right? Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the right reasons for fasting have everything to do with even the very two questions I asked you last week. Last week I asked you to kind of rate your prayer life. And I asked you 
to look at the quality of your prayer life. And hey, are you intimate with God? Right? The two factors we had for quality were, hey, are you feeling intimate with God? Do you experience His intimacy daily? Also, are you getting answers to prayer? I mean, are you praying bold prayers? Are you seeing change in people's lives in your own life? Is there fruitfulness to your prayer? Well, again, if the answer to those is, hey, not so much, then we've got this kind of, I call it the nuclear option. God's put in our arsenal a discipline that can really make progress or that can really kind of make breakthrough in these areas of intimacy with God and results. And it is fasting. So I encourage you to unleash your hunger for God by fasting. And what I'd like to do is, you don't have to turn there, but I think we get another set of good reasons for fasting from Jesus' own experience of fasting. It's just a page before. It's in Matthew 4, right? And let me bring you there. Remember that at the end of Matthew 3, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And, as you remember, he came out of the waters and the Spirit of God came like a dove on him. And there was this booming voice from heaven, a total affirmation of Jesus' identity, right? This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Well, wouldn't you know, right after that, it's the Spirit of God that leads Jesus into the desert. And Jesus, out of obedience, fasts for 40 days. That's a long time. And afterwards, I love the understatement sometimes of the Bible, he was hungry. <laughs> okay, I'm usually hungry after a meal, fast. Well, Jesus was hungry after 40 days. And then comes the temptations of the evil one. And after the temptations of the evil one, Jesus will begin his public ministry. And so therein we find another really good reason for fasting. That is the consecration of a ministry or the beginning of something or kind of a launch that you're doing. Fasting is a great way to start. There's a reason why the Navigate Training School, before we went to North Africa in July, we had some really regular and extended time of fasting. It's because we wanted to see the power of God show up in North Africa. And so now, two, um, two months later, I'm not just sharing this so we can have a good testimony, but the fact is there's about a half a dozen to a dozen people in Northwest Africa with whom we met. And you have to understand, there's a team of about 15 of us, and the city we were in were, gosh, I don't know, 200,000, maybe half a million people. The nation we were in, 30 million people. But God, in one week, in eight days, God gave us what we like to call divine appointments with about a half a dozen to a dozen people there who had, were very open to hearing about the person of Jesus in a Muslim country. Why is that? I think it's because, and this is all glory to God. You have to understand also theologically, God's the initiator. It's all His grace. But because we kind of entered into a discipline of fasting, I think we saw some more fruit than if we hadn't done it. This week, I said, hey, I'm preaching on fasting. Maybe I should fast, <laughs> you know? Maybe I shouldn't be a pretender, a hypocrite, and I should fast a little bit. And I have had seasons in my life where I've been regular about fasting once a week. I've done some extended fasts also. And although I hate fasting, I love the fruit of it. Fasting's not fun when you do it, but the fruit of it, the intimacy with God, the results, the answers to your prayer is always really powerful. And so I took a day this week and said, God, I've got to fast. Then I had a weekend where yesterday was a 
uh, a wedding. I got to have the privilege of, of preaching a wedding yesterday, and now here I am today. And I can tell you, preaching the wedding yesterday, I had a peace of God that I have not yet had in preaching a wedding. And I attribute that to the fact that in my fast, I said, God, I want you to get glorified in this wedding. And I felt especially the peace of God in sharing the gospel at a wedding. Because I love, whether it's wedding or funeral, there are awesome opportunities to preach the gospel. And I felt the flow. I felt I was in the zone. And I think that fasting had to do with it. What about you? What are you leading? What are you responsible for? And you don't have to be in ministry. You know, I used to teach high school. One of the ways I would start the year is I'd get a list of all my students. And before school would start in late August, I'd take a few days and I'd fast and I'd pray name by name for these students because I was teaching in a tough spot for the gospel. Suburban high school just west of Boston where it is just ridiculous to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm so thankful that after five years of teaching, there's some fruit that was there, some students who heard the gospel and some who decided to follow Jesus. Well, I think fasting's a part of it. It's the nuclear option. It's power. It's wonderful. What about you? What are you leading? What, are you, what initiative do you have in your workplace, in your dorm, in your home? Where do you need grace? Where do you need fresh breakthrough? Well, you got the nuclear option. It's fasting. Use it. In looking again at Jesus' time of fasting, I want to give you two other good reasons to fast. If you notice, the uh, first two times that the devil tempts Jesus. How does he start? He starts with an attack right on Jesus' identity, which was just confirmed at his baptism. He says, if you are the Son of God, right? Turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, hurl yourself from this building and attack right at the identity. And I would suggest tonight that really every sin... Every one of my shortcomings, every place where you missed the mark is really just you being out of touch with who you really are. The first thing that I say to someone when they confess to me that they're struggling with pornography is, I say, it's not who you are. I need to tell you that because whenever there's an addictive cycle, we get so warped by it, we start to just think, it's just who I am. Why fight? It's just who I am. And that is why the very first thing I say is, it is not who you are, and you need to know it. And so one of the reasons that I fast, too, is just building up that security in who I am in Christ. I need to know I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I'm going to heaven. All this junk is going to go away someday. Jesus, after fasting 40 days, when the devil came out with him with, hey, I'm going to attack you in your identity, he's able to say, what? He said, no. Right? He said, man doesn't live by bread alone. That's pretty radical for someone who's been fasting for 40 days. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? And he says, no, I can't put the Lord my God to the test when he was invited to throw himself, you know, let God save you. So another great reason to fast is just to Settle again. Who are you in Christ? Who has God made you to be? Where are you headed? What's your real identity? Check out Ephesians 2 so you can know your identity. Okay? It's a great reason. And you know the places where you trip up, where you mess up time and time again. Let God speak to you there. It's wonderful. And finally, the third thing that I take away from Jesus' own fasting and his temptation in the desert would be 
the very last temptation. And this one is just, I'm not going to write a book on this. I wouldn't, um, you know, this is not a, this is just kind of a Neil thing. But I'm going to share it with you because it's been so helpful to me personally. You know, the last temptation was, hey, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And I often wonder if the devil was able to show to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world like through all time and all their splendor. And I think of a verse in 1 John. It's 1 John 2.15, right? Where where John is saying, don't love the world or anything in the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, right? And he says, the craving of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what man has or does. These things don't come from the Father. They come from the world. And sometimes there's just a sensual pull to our flesh. And I'll tell you where I feel it. I feel it the most when I'm in the middle of, say, Times Square, New York. Or when I'm in Paris, France. The last time I was in Paris, France was in March of 2009, right? About a year and a half ago. It was my first wedding that I performed for a friend from France. Kelsey and I had just been married two and a half months, and I took a five-day trip to Paris. Thank God I was staying with my friend's family. And I was fine. You know, there's no, um, I have no sin to confess. But there's just a pull. There's a seduction of the world that when I get to places like Paris, when I get to places like New York, that is just so strong. I feel it in a way that's just unmistakable. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to give you a wrong theology of the city because like it or not, we're all headed to a city, okay? Revelation is very clear that we are going to be in a very large city, that all the believers are going to be put into a square city that's huge, and the proportions of which are absolutely ginormous. Cities are not bad. In fact, history is headed towards a city. But the point I'm trying to make is there is a seduction of the world that is just a part of everyday life, and I just happen to feel it where there's great concentrations of people. So, what I'm saying is, is that sometimes one of the advantages of fasting is, it's just what I call it, just arrest the flesh. It arrests the flesh. You know, maybe, again, when you look at that 1 John 2, 15 and 16 list, right? The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has or does. There's little places where you feel more seduced than others. And I would say it's a great reason to fast. It's why I like the once a week kind of fasting discipline because it arrests the flesh. It just kind of shuts things down. Because when you deny your normal appetite, some of those other appetites just get a little bit suppressed. It just kind of lets you reset with God. That's another reason why I really enjoy fasting. Fasting unleashes a hunger for God. Liz, I feel like I know the bottom of your feet so much better now. That was wonderful. <laughs> so, whether you feel motivated to fast because you kind of want to consecrate yourself, your ministry, your work, perhaps you want to fast because you just want to unleash this hunger for God. You want to get more secure in who you are in Christ. Or maybe you want to fast because you just want to arrest the flesh. I'm going to invite you, I'm going to, uh, invite you to do that this week. I like to give people really practical applications. So just as last week I invited us, hey, what would happen if every day this week you prayed and you prayed according to the model that Jesus gave us? I'm going to invite you, why don't you fast this week? If you've never done it before, try a meal. If you've done it some, Try three meals. Try four days. Try seven days. Try ten. There's people in our fellowship who have done 40-day fast. It's doable. Okay, you don't die. You just want to make sure you drink. 
Don't do an absolute fast. The only one who did that was Moses, I think. I'll have to look at the scriptures again. But Moses did an absolute fast because he was in the glory of God, getting the Ten Commandments. If there is not a cloud of glory around you continually, then don't do an absolute fast. Please, make sure that you drink. But whatever reason you are compelled to fast, I also want to enjoy, uh, invite you to fast for New England. Jonathan Frizz was up here inviting us into a series of events. We're in this 10 days of prayer ending with Yom Kippur this Friday. Will you fast for New England? I believe this is a special place. Every time I leave New England, I say, God, it'd be so much easier to raise a family here. But I just have this draw of God and this expectation that New England it's where I'm from, but that God wants to do something here. So if you have nothing else to fast for this week, you fast for a move of God in New England. And then you join us, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 25th, is a solemn assembly in Plymouth, Mass. It's just a group of people gathering saying, God, we need you, and New England needs you. It's going to be powerful. I can give you more details on that. But before I, I let you loose, I've got to make sure that I give you some practical tips for fasting, because we don't need people keeling over and dying. <clears throat> Practical tips. I'll just relate them to Keith Crass and I, the head of FART of the Financial Committee. We did a little 25-mile bike ride today, and I thought, wow, there's so much about biking and fasting that are similar. The first thing is, you want to choose ahead of time your start and your end times, okay? Just like Keith and I, we knew this is a 25-mile route. Here's how it's going to go. We can pace ourselves. If you just have it open-ended, you won't do well. You need to decide. This is what I'm beginning, this is what I'm ending, because then you can pace yourself, okay? So choose your starting and end times ahead of time. Make sure that if you're on medication, you consult a physician, all right, because some meds need to be taken with food. If that's you and you're kind of feeling frustrated, hey, you can always do the fast that's described in the book of Daniel, which is eating just vegetables and fruit and kind of eliminating just meats and sweets. That'll, that'll be hard. Another thing, you obviously want to drink plenty of fluids, okay? No one here does an absolute fast. You want to have your water, and 100% juice is helpful, right? Sometimes if you're getting a little headache, then the sugar from the juice can just help you make it through. <clears throat> we had plenty of fluids today, I believe, Keith. Did we not? Also, you want to, and this is, this is a key part, is you want to make sure and be accountable. Do it with some friends, okay? Keith and I found three guys that we could bike with today, and it turns out that our average speed increased by two miles an hour over the whole thing. Isn't that incredible, right? You draft off someone else, you get with someone, and you can actually go more. Hey, listen, don't fast alone. Get some other people with you. Now I know that it's between you and God, right? That's clear. But the point there is just, uh, you know, if someone's fasting a little bit more than you, then they're not more spiritual. If you're fasting more than someone else, you're not more spiritual. You decide between you and God what you're going to do, and then keep accountable. Share with each other. Makes it that much better, and you'll go farther and faster than you ever did. And of course, lastly and most importantly, the whole purpose is you're trying to unleash your hunger for God. So you've got to replace your mealtimes, not with something else other than feasting on the Word of God, right? Just like Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. I promise He has a word from you. I promise it's going to hit you more when you're fasting. It's just the way it is. Feast on God's Word and His prayer. Hey, as usual, I like to give you the picture for what's going to happen as we start to be people who get kind of pulled away from the abnormal obsession with food and kind of go more into the normal rhythm of, of fasting as a discipline in our lives, we are going to have, we will unleash our hunger for God, okay? You're going to unleash this hunger for God, okay? And like we saw in Matthew 4, we're going to be fasting for the right reasons. We're going to see results. We're going to have more intimacy with God. You're going to see answered prayer, I guarantee
And lastly, we, like Jesus, will have the necessary depth in our souls to withstand it when the enemy attacks us at our identity. We'll have enough depth in us to resist it. And that's what we want here. We need it so badly. Because like we start out this whole series saying, what the world desperately needs is not more gifted people, not more intelligent people, but deeper people. And I guarantee that fasting is one way to get there. And remember again, the issue is not you being loved or not loved. You are totally loved, totally pleasing to God. The issue is fruitfulness or not fruitfulness. And God's just got an invitation to you to bear some fruit for him. Thank you, Lord. God, first we just receive by faith, by looking at the cross, that we are deeply loved. We should remember that Jesus found it worth it when he looked at me, when he looked at anyone else in this congregation. He found it worth it to lay down his life, give up all that he had to bring us into relationship with God. God, we're loved. We're deeply loved. Your delight is in us. We just settle that right now in the Spirit. And knowing that we're deeply loved, we receive a fresh invitation to get deep by adding a little discipline to our lives. And nothing, (laughs) there's really no other discipline that gets at our will and the whole submitting to God thing than fasting. So I pray that even now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd whisper something to each one here. Like, hey, fast this meal. I pray to be very practical, Holy Spirit. You're the guide. You're the counselor. So I pray that even now, as we think through our weeks coming up, there'd be a, yeah, this is when I should fast. God, you're calling me to this meal. You're calling me to this day. You're calling me to these three days, these seven, these ten. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd make it very practical so we could come back next week rejoicing. Even as we rejoice this week about strides made in prayer, we can come next week rejoicing how people experience some intimacy with God, experience some results in prayer. They experienced a shift in their workplace. Maybe someone at work who's difficult, we start to pray for them, see our attitude towards them change. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be very specific tonight in speaking the invitation that you have for each one of us here. Let no one leave under a yoke of condemnation, but with an invitation of grace to unleash our hunger for God.